1: So glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you have. I want to make sure that you are aware when you go to make a decision on buying a home about some very unusual distortions in the housing market and how they affect your decision making and buying a house. Uh, people have become much more focused this year on buying a home as partially a place of comfort following the disruptions emotionally and financially, uh, the dislocations that have come with coronavirus. And so homes feel safe at a time that the world feels unsafe. And so we've got people who've been more into buying homes of late because of that. The result is we have a historical imbalance of homes for sale versus people that are interested in buying. There have been certain other times in American history that that's been true. This is the closest I can recall to a period of time post-World War II, where there was enormous demand for housing coupled with an extreme shortage. And so what happens in a situation like this is home prices get bid up. And the uh, median price of a home, meaning half of houses or less, half or more, is the highest it's ever been recently. The most recent uh, firm data comes from July that the average price of a used home in the United States is now over $300,000. The effect of this with the shortage of homes available for sale and the intense demand is that it counteracts some of the benefit from record low interest rates. So it requires a different decision-making process on your part if you're interested in buying a home. The difference is you need to think about your ownership cycle. And you'll hear me over the years, if you've been listening to me a long time, you'll hear me talk about ownership cycles. That the longer you own a home, the more conservative the purchase of that home becomes. By conservative, I mean the lower the risk that purchase decision is. Let's take something extreme. People who bought homes during the bubble in 04, 05, 06 and into early 07 ended up if they kept those homes writing the value of the homes way down to where you were enormously upside down to then riding them back up to where now even people who bought at the peak in 06 or early 07 now have a home that's worth much more than it was when they bought it. But people who bailed during the bust ended up with a whole different financial situation. So the intended ownership cycle, and we don't know exactly what ends up happening in our lives, but right now is one of those times that an intended longer ownership cycle is what reduces the risk of buying a home at a time that home prices are a little out of kilter. The great advantage is you lock in these ultra-low interest rates. The longer you stay in that home, the more benefit you get from those ultra-low interest rates. And that's how you can make a decision in a time that prices are inflated and feel okay with it. Another thing is there's been a lot of instant speculation by supposed experts that where and how people want to live is being changed permanently because of coronavirus. And it's actually not true. There's this idea that people are going to relocate to Uh, suburbs or distant suburbs or the country or whatever because they're forever psychologically scarred by coronavirus and that nobody in their right mind would want to live in a city well New York has had its own special issues and there's been people who have turned their backs on living in New York and there may be a little bit of that effect in maybe another city or two But as a general rule, if you look, I follow the real estate trades very closely, the commercial real estate trades. There's no rotation generally around the country out of living in cities. There are people who may say they want out and move, but there's no thing like people saying uh, we're going back to the 1950s with cities being in our rearview mirror there are many many reasons and circumstances why cities will remain healthy so the disruptions in the housing market are for any of a number of reasons and factors one you should ignore is anybody who says it's because of people abandoning closer end communities in big cities It's time for your questions you posted for me at clark.com slash ask. Producers Kim and Joel alternating asking those questions. Kim, it's your turn.
2: All right. Laura in Ohio says, my husband took a small package to one of the major independent package carriers and needed to be overnighted to our son in Portland, Oregon. Upon taking it there, he specifically asked if the current fires would be a problem for the package's arrival. The clerk said no, and then the clerk also informed him that he could pay even a little bit extra to make sure it was there the next morning. It actually ended up costing us $100 to send a small package. But then the package arrived two days late. So my husband called to get a refund, at least a partial refund for the extra morning delivery charge. But customer no service apologized and said repeatedly that their clerks don't have the right training to know that the fires would cause a delay. We want a refund. We feel like it's not our problem that the company doesn't properly train their employees.
1: Okay, so... One important thing for you to know, the delivery guarantees at FedEx and UPS are pretty much out the window right now. They know they can't meet them and don't ever pay for um, premium delivery service. The most you should ever pay for is two-day delivery somewhere, but same day, uh, next day morning, next day afternoon, don't believe it. If they at customer no service don't want to give you a refund, you are certainly owed a refund in this case, not because of what the individual told you, but because of the failure of. And I don't know, is this did they state was this UPS or FedEx that failed? FedEx. Okay, so FedEx has uh, has had a terrible, terrible track record lately on on time delivery. File a complaint. Against FedEx at BBB.org, and it may in fact shake a partial refund loose for you that customer no service would not grant. I've been hearing over and over again from people with the package delivery services that when they call for a partial refund, they get turned down flat. This is wrong. You know, if you're going to charge somebody. Based on a rate chart for a delivery to a certain point, you still deserve money for getting that delivery done. You don't deserve the premium charge.
0: Joel? Clark Elizabeth in Georgia says, how does zero debt affect your credit? I'm currently in the process of selling my home. My car's paid off and I have one credit card that I pay off every month. Once the sale of my property is final, I'll find myself debt free. I currently, have a credit score above 800. How will this newfound loss of debt affect my credit score, and should I even be concerned about it?
1: So, I carry no debt at all, and I use credit cards as a payment system, and my credit score remains typically in the uh, very high 700s or low 800s, just depending on my current utilization of credit cards. And you don't have to have a home loan a car loan various other types of loans in order to have a rock solid credit score because most of what makes up your credit score is that you make your payments on time every month and that you use very little of your available credit the rest of it is almost like details that nibble at the edges of your score so no concern there but I am very concerned that you only have a single credit card I want you to get another card from a different issuer so that you have two different forms of credit and use them regularly pay them in full as you continue to do and your credit score will remain solid as a rock your long-term payment history with your mortgage works for you for years to come even though that won't be an active activity in what makes up your credit score in the future. Kim?
2: Barbara in Texas says, I had someone approach me about becoming a seller of some prepaid legal services. There's an upfront fee for me to join, and then I get a straight commission based on what I sell. The customers who buy it pay a monthly fee to have legal help as needed. Do you know anything about companies like this? And do you think it would be a good part time job for me?
1: Okay, this is weird. How long has it been since we've had a call about this as a multi level? At least over 10 years. Yeah, it's been forever. Yeah. So this is something that is not a scam, but for the most part, people that subscribe to these legal subscriptions find that they never really use them and it's not generally what turns out to be a good use of their money um, if it's something you believe in through and through and you're really good at chatting up strangers it's something you would uh, really be comfortable out selling, and you'd be willing to spend the time it is a legitimate activity even though one I don't see particularly useful but in no way is it a scam I'm nervous about you though saying You have to pay money up front, particularly because your words don't exactly jump out with enthusiasm about doing this as an activity.
0: Joel? Clark Daniel in Georgia says, I'm looking for a realtor and had a bad experience using a friend. Is there an easy way to find a list of realtors online that you would recommend? I want to interview at least four to five before making a choice uh, on the one that's right for me.
1: Uh, Good question. No list. The key with picking a real estate agent is someone who is a high volume agent, very experienced in the neighborhood or neighborhoods that you're interested in being a buyer or seller. That the people who control a lot of the volume in a particular area are key. My wife and I went on a long walk this past weekend with her brother and her father And we were walking around and we were laughing because we kept seeing uh, two different names of agents on listing after listing after listing, you know, the signs in the yards for houses for sale. And it just so goes to support what I've always said. You want the people who are really knowledgeable in a specific neighborhood and the ones who've bought and sold, represented people buying and selling in those neighborhoods over and over again. Jessie Kate is with us on the Clark Howard Show. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you? Great. So you're one of the millions of homeowners who've decided this year you want a swimming pool.
3: Yes, yes, we are. My husband is actually standing with me and um, we do have the cash on hand to purchase it outright, but we'd have to dip into our emergency fund and we really like to keep at least six to seven months of expenses. In savings and so we were looking to maybe finance part of the pool. Hmm.
1: So with pools many times the pool retailer that you're buying from will offer um, their financing as an alternative normally not necessarily the lowest interest rate but if any of the pool companies talk to you about being able to finance...
3: They have,
1: yes. And what kind of interest rates are they quoting you?
3: We actually didn't get that far in the process because we were thinking that they might be higher, and so we were exploring lower
1: options. So they're not always higher, interestingly enough, because okay. many times when you're doing something like an amenity, part of the the pitch from the company that's pitching like a pool is that they offer loan terms that are not outrageous so they may actually offer you a financing that would be attractive but you are a couple that's really into being careful with your money if you were to just flat out pay cash for the pool how many months rainy day reserve would you then have about two to
3: three
1: And how long would it take you to build back up, let's say, from two or three, which is far more than most people have, back to a much more comfortable six?
3: Maybe a year or two?
1: If you could rebuild your savings in that short a cycle, pay Mm -hmm. cash for the pool and keep it simple. Okay. Because usually when people call me about putting in a pool... They don't have a reserve of six months of money like you've got. And so if you take it a little tighter and go down to two or three months of reserve that you can rebuild in a year or so, I would pay the cash, not worry about having to pay anybody any interest, not worrying about any loan application, and just rebuild the savings that you are of a mind to have is the best course of action. And I hope you love that pool. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. So I wanted to share with you some changes coming in the event that you have a claim with an insurance company. In my TV work, I did a story about insurers that are now using drones and artificial intelligence in order to calculate what kind of money you need to repair damage to your home. And as I've had only a couple of calls so far, auto insurers are starting to use artificial intelligence and digital photos submitted by the insured to process auto insurance claims without a traditional adjuster ever visiting to do an estimate on a vehicle and this is something that is spreading from something that was just experimental in the insurance industry to something that is becoming far more common what I was not aware of till I read a story in the New York Times about this is there are now um, companies that specialize in artificial intelligence auto insurance claims, the behind the scenes software and processes that they sell to insurers so that insurers can settle claims immediately. The idea is, in the most extreme cases, you could be waiting for a tow truck, take pictures of the damage to your vehicle, submit them to your insurer, and as they say, before the vehicle even gets to the body shop, the insurer has already calculated what the claim supposedly will cost to fix. Now this idea of using what is referred to as instant claim settlement is something that can be dangerous to your wallet as an insured. and let me explain how and insurance is regulated not by the federal government by each of the 50 states so there are wrinkles about this and nuance from state to state but what you need to know is you never want to accept a payment from an insurance company for damage to a vehicle that waives your rights if the cost of the repair exceeds the initial estimate. The reality is insurers believe that they're going to be able to steadily refine through artificial intelligence how these claims are done and that they will become steadily more accurate and they expect that they will be in a position where a traditional human adjuster will potentially no longer be part of the process. My belief there are situations that will require the trained experienced human adjuster because of the complexity of some of the repairs involved following an accident and that an insurer that goes completely all-in only into AI is going to alienate customers and cause problems. But the ability to settle claims much quicker is key. One of the things when I did the TV story about uh, doing technology for claims following a storm where it might have taken following let's say a major hurricane or whatever it might take weeks or even into months for adjusters to visit every property that a single individual with a drone that has access to artificial intelligence will be able to speed up the claims process enormously but speed cannot take the place of your rights and never ever endorse a check and accept money until you know if the acceptance of that check the endorsement of it waives your rights to additional funds if they later become necessary it's time for your questions you posted for me at clark.com slash ask producers kim and joel alternate and whose turn is it that would be me Hi, see kim. this time i forgot <laughs> Perfect. (laughs) All right. This is
2: from Don in Georgia. And Don says, over the last few weeks, I've been getting an increasing number of calls, texts, and emails from people claiming to work in admission offices at different colleges and universities. They say they're following up with me regarding my interest in applying there. I have not applied anywhere. They all sound very educated and professional, and I'm starting to wonder if this is an identity
1: theft issue. Wow. Okay, this would be a new wrinkle, <laughs> because the purpose of somebody applying to college as if they're you would be so you would get potentially stuck with loans that they would signed up for as if they're you. But the problem with that is the individual would not end up with the credential, the diploma, that would prove that they had taken the course of instruction. This is really out of left field. So a couple of things I'd like you to do. In fact, I got multiple steps. First, I want you to get copies of all three of your credit reports. That's free and available to you at annualcreditreport.com. I want you to see if anything on your credit files does not look like something that is yours. Second, I want you to set up a Credit Karma account so that you can monitor your uh, at least two of your three credit reports for free going forward routinely and see for free an approximation of your credit score whenever you'd like from two of the bureaus. Then the third thing I'd like you to do is freeze your credit file. That will prevent any individual behind your back applying for loans as if they're you. As to whether there's another oddball angle here that is not on our radar, oh, gosh, I can't think of what it would be, but what an odd
0: thing. Joel? Clark Paul in Washington, D.C. says I have about $27,000 in student loan debt and about $85,000 in my emergency fund. I also have a healthy balance in my Roth IRA. They keep firing people at my job, but I think I'm safe. So should I use my savings and pay off my student loans, or keep making monthly payments that are around eight hundred dollars a month?
1: Kill the student loans, kill them tomorrow. You make sure you get the exact balances. Take your savings down from eighty-five to what would it be? Um, fifty-eight thousand. That's still a very nice cushion. You're going to rebuild that fifty-eight thousand at the seven hundred a month you were paying on student loans and you'll eliminate that spread between earning basically zero on your savings and what you're paying on the student loan debt. That one is uh, something I w- if you were really worried that your job was very much on the line, I would not advise since you feel that your job is uh, pretty secure, I would go ahead and take the risk because even if you do it, you're still going to have a very large cushion there with $58,000, even if you were wrong and you did lose your job. And that's a very nice cushion compared to what the typical person has. Kim?
2: Thomas in Wisconsin says, my two Southwest Airline tickets that I canceled in March due to COVID have not been refunded, although I have credit that is available to use through December 2021. Due to both COVID and my wife's health, combined, I have no certainty that we can rebook these flights during this time frame. Recently, Southwest offered to convert the value of these two flights to reward points. I have up until December 1st, 2020 to decide on that. So I'm curious about your thoughts. Would this conversion to points be a good value and would it maybe end up giving me a longer period of time to rebook the flights? Moreover, do rapid points ever expire?
1: So This is a good idea to do the conversion and I hope that your wife makes a full health recovery and that you're able to use the points to travel. The conversion Southwest is offering on converting the points is very favorable and its uh, expiration of points on Southwest is not really an issue. It's very easy to keep your points active. And so I would do the conversion at the very generous conversion rate they're offering. And that way you eliminate the worry that at the end of 21, the money would expire
0: on you. Joel? Clark Victoria in Texas says, I have a Subaru Forester 2018 with 25,000 miles on it. And the lease is up on it at the end of October. I heard you mentioning that used cars are up in value. Is it worth it for me to find the buyout price and try selling it on my own? Or would the entire process make it not worth it? I believe at the time of the contract three years ago, it was supposed to be around $17,000. Unfortunately, I don't think I got that in writing.
1: Oh, it'll be in writing. Your residual, if your residual is not in writing in a lease, you got cheated. There will be a stated residual amount in your contract that will govern what you would have to buy the vehicle for at the end of the lease. So what would matter is what average trade-in is on your vehicle at that time. For this to be worth your time, you would need an average trade-in of at least a couple of thousand dollars more than what your residual buyout would be to make it worth it. But because you're uh, pretty low on miles, Twenty five thousand miles, right? Is that what you said? Yep, that's it. Um you're that is a, a low amount of miles. If you love the Subaru, the smartest move at the end of the lease would be to buy it and keep driving it yourself. Because that's where the smart money would be. You know the vehicle, you know its history, and if you've loved it, then continuing to operate that vehicle with such low miles would be the best move of all. Kim? Alan in
2: Colorado says, I saw Lemonade.com, which seems to be a discount processor for homeowner's insurance. Have you ever heard of this company and do you think you get what you pay for in this situation?
1: Yes, and we just updated Lemonade recently. It is a rare form of corporate entity called a public benefit corporation that their responsibilities go beyond Uh, loyalty to their owners, but also goes to the insureds as well. And they went from being an experiment in a single state to being pretty widely spread around the country. And it's certainly worth you getting a quote from Lemonade. We never get complaints about them. Stephanie is with us on the Clark Howard show. Hello, Stephanie. How are you doing?
3: I'm doing well. Thank you so much. (laughs)
1: Sure. Do you know I have a daughter a named
3: daughter? Stephanie? Yeah, <laughs> named Stephanie. She, you call her Steffi. My my mother used to call me Steffi sometimes.
1: <laughs> but do you know why she's called Steffi instead of Stephanie? No. Steffy? When she was in kindergarten and was having to write her name, she was having a lot of trouble writing yes. Stephanie. And her kindergarten teacher said, "Well, you know, if you go by Steffi, you'll have to write a lot less letters."
3: Same here. <laughs> Understand now. <laughs> But thanks. I'm glad I had the opportunity to um, toss this issue in front of you. The best way to finance a home repair. Okay. Uh, I've recently retired, so now I have the time to sit at home and watch contractors and all that. And I have a problem that's come up where my floors need to be supported underneath the crawl space. I've gotten quotes from three or four different contractors, and it's going to be somewhere between ten thousand to fourteen thousand. And
1: um, that sure isn't a lot of fun, something having no. to do to your home. It's not like, look at my new bathroom or yes, whatever. That, yeah. And I was, I was
3: lucky. I was able to save a little home, maintenance money, but I didn't expect this one project to take up the whole budget. But just wondering what's the best way to finance it. I can come up, again, with about half of that $20,000. Uh, and I know I need to leave a little contingency if something goes wrong. But I'm thinking of splitting that cost between two credit cards that I have. Both of those cards are
1: at
3: 5%. 5%? Yeah, I've had these for 20-something years, these two.
1: <laughs> 5%? Yeah. <laughs> so. I mean, that's really that's great. I mean, you could... Um, the, the mortgage on your home... Is, uh, it's
3: fully paid for. Okay,
1: so you own your home free and clear. Yes. You could pay to set up a home equity line of credit, but you're you're not really going to save any interest if you've got cards like that. Yes. Use the cards.
3: Okay, because I didn't know, well, right now I'm using about a third of the, you know, that 30% I didn't want to go
1: Ooh. over. All right. I
3: thought then, opening, then I unused. would want
1: you to apply for another credit card. Okay. Because I don't want your ratios to go above yes. 30%. Uh, You also would have in that case, even though it's not my first choice, you could do a home equity line of credit, which Mm -hmm. um, if you're pushing 30%, you know, that puts you into where you could really start harming your credit score. Right. So either another credit card that has potentially a very low rate, Mm -hmm. or uh, are you a member of a credit union?
3: No, unfortunately I'm not. (laughs) You could join
1: a credit union. Okay. And maybe do, because credit unions offer much better deals typically on home equity lines of credit than banks do. Yes. And you could get a rate roughly equivalent to what you have on the credit cards. Okay. It's just the problem is you have to pay usually several hundred dollars or maybe even over a $1,000 to set up a home equity line of credit, Mm. which eats into the whole purpose which is why probably my first best option would be applying for one more credit card. Yeah. So you keep your ratios below 30%. That's what I was thinking. How long would it take you to pay off the money that you're going to borrow on a credit card for this?
3: I would hope three years.
1: Oh, my goodness. That's a lot longer than I'd want.
3: Okay. I uh, guess I could double up on uh, Well, I that. mean,
1: you've got to do what's realistic yeah. in your own life. But I don't want you having that kind of debt just hanging out there. Um, and I'm concerned that you are running at 30% ratios on your other two credit cards. So um, I, I'm gr- so glad you own your home free and clear. But I really want you to look at your overall credit card debt and start thinking through how once you absorb this expense how you get on a trend line to reduce those balances over time, and it starts with not using them anymore.
3: Right. One, I don't use at all.
1: Okay. I want it to be all of them you don't use anymore, okay?
3: (laughs) All right. I will go that route and look into getting another card.
1: All right. And best to you, and I hope that the improvements really help the stability of your house.